I've asked the session for just a moment uh, of personal privilege, and um, they they said it was fine, so here we go. As, as many of you know, uh, four years ago I was diagnosed with uh, stage 3 thyroid cancer, had a big old tumor in my neck, and the doctors removed that, and I was treated uh, successfully. Uh, but they have found another uh, tumor, this time in my uh, colon, and it's uh, far worse and very aggressive. Um, and so for the past two and a half, three weeks, uh, I've been doing all the usual uh, tests, the scans, and getting poked and prodded, and all of you understand what that's uh, like. Uh, almost every day I've been in either the hospital or one clinic or another uh, getting all of the diagnosis. The doctors are uh, very concerned because uh, this, uh, I was checked four years ago and I was fine, no problem, completely clear. In fact, my doctor said, don't come back for 10 years, you're, you're great. And, uh, but I was not feeling well and so I went in to see him and, and sure enough, there's this uh, very ugly and very large and very aggressive uh, tumor. Um, and so uh, s- uh, all the tests have been done and next week I'll be uh, starting chemo radiation therapy and... Uh, for the next every day. I'll be going every day for the next six, seven weeks. Uh, then there'll be a period of six or seven weeks of rest, and then, of course, the surgery to remove the tumor. And uh, if it's completely gone, uh, then I'll be okay. If not, they'll have to continue with more uh, chemo and radiation. Uh, I know that this is uh, uh, disappointing. Uh, it's not a good time for our church. I mean, we're in the midst of, we need to move (laughs) into our new building, and there's a lot of wonderful future ahead of us, and so uh, I just want to, I know all of you want to know, how do we help? What do we do? And so let let me share a few things with you very quickly. Uh, Then we'll go to the Word of God and to this beautiful sacrament of Holy Communion to strengthen uh, ourselves in faith. First of all, please pray. I ask you most sincerely, pray for my family, especially my wife, uh, Mari V, and my kids. Uh, those of you that know about cancer and cancer diagnosis, it's often more uh, difficult for the family than it is for the patient. And so please pray for Mari V and my kids and for, uh, and for my extended family as well, who many of you uh, know. Uh, pray for the doctors. We have a, a great team that uh, is assembled here. Texas Oncology is where I'll be uh, taking my treatments. And uh, we've met with all the doctors except one, which we'll meet with uh, on Tuesday. And, and then, uh, and then uh, we should be ready to, to take off with the, uh, with the chemotherapy. So pray for my family. Pray for these doctors. Sec- thirdly, I, I, look, treat us normally. Please, I'm not a China doll. I'm not going to break if you come up and and uh, and 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 talk to me. Uh, I'm going to. I've asked the session to let me keep working as long as I can. So I'm still your pastor. I'm not dead yet. Uh, and so uh, if you need me, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be keeping my office hours uh, at uh, Starbucks, Kinley's, Corner Bakery. Uh, and now Rudy's on the west side over by the new church. I found this place great Wi-Fi. Uh, so I have my, my first coffee is in the morning about 5.30, and then like a hobbit, I have second coffee uh, at, about, uh, at about 9 or 10 o'clock uh, at, at one of these places where I 
meet with people. I had the pleasure of Ed and I spent what, an hour, hour and a half the other day. We had a ball, didn't we? At least I did. I don't know about it. <laughs> but uh, so, so please, uh, we want to be, we want everything to proceed as normal. I may get sick. I don't know. I may be okay. I don't know. Doctors say they don't, just don't know. I'm strong, thanks to Scott Warman. I'm in good health. And uh, I'm going to keep coming to the gym if it's all right with you. I won't infect anybody, I promise. Uh, this isn't contagious. <laughs> so uh, anyway, please, everything is normal as possible, all right? And if I don't feel good, if you call me and you want to meet for coffee and I don't feel good, I'll tell you. I can't, can't do it today. But otherwise, I'll be here. I'm going to preach my heart out. And uh, everything will be as normal as possible. Please, please, I ask you, no books, no internet links, no recommendations on what go-go juice to drink or whatever to make this cancer. This cancer doesn't go away by go-go juice. Okay, it's got to be treated right. So as much as I appreciate all of that, please, it's not helpful. Okay? I don't want anybody telling me you got cancer because you're a sinner. I already know that. Okay. All right. Uh, and if any of you in your private time, you're thinking, you know, I wonder why he's got cancer. I wonder why God is doing this to him. I'm telling you right now, don't think about that. Why him? Why him? Or why me? Why me? I want you to think about this. Why him? Why him? The whole time I've been here, folks, I've preached my heart out to you. That the beauty of holiness the beauty, the most beautiful being the world ever knew came down and took our place on the cross. And so if you want to know if I'm being punished for my sins, why Him? That's the answer. If you want to know what, you know, it's just the consequence, I don't know, and neither do you. But one thing we do know is that God heals always. Yes? And sometimes it's not till the resurrection. So I'm okay with that. So please, just treat us normally. Let's just live together. And finally, pray that God's glory and goodness and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will pervade our lives in this church, all of us. And that we will look to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who the Scripture says bore in His own body on the tree not only all our sins, but all our diseases, all our afflictions, all our pain, all our suffering, and had the audacity to then tell us, do not fear. And so one of my, one of my uh, pastor friends, at, uh, Scott Sauls in Christ uh, Press in Nashville, says this, Fear God. Fear God. You don't have to be afraid of anything else. Right? Let me leave you with this. And then we're going to go to the Word and to the table to be encouraged. And I want you to have joy and encouragement. This is a little excerpt, very briefly, written to, uh, by John Newton, the famous hymn writer, Amazing Grace, and uh, the pastor uh, in Olney in, in England. He wrote to a friend of his who had come down, whose sister had come down with a very dread disease, and I want this to be what permeates my life. I'm just telling you for me personally, I hope will spill over into those of you who are also facing adversity and suffering and perhaps a terrible illness. He wrote this, Your sister is much on my mind. Her illness grieves me. 
were it in my power, I would quickly remove it. The Lord can, and I hope He will, when it has answered the end for which He sent it. He has a sovereign right to do with us as He pleases. And if we consider what we are, surely we will confess that we have no reason to complain. And to those who seek Him, His sovereignty is exercised in such a way of grace. All shall work together for good. Listen to this. Everything is needful that He sends. Nothing can be needful that He withholds. Let's pray. Father, our lives, every minute is in Your hands. Every part of it. And I pray that You will encourage all of us by Your grace and mercy through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the beauty of holiness. And we love Him because He first loved us. So comfort the heart of this church. Wonderful group of people. Comfort the heart of my family and me as well. And please help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks Thanks for giving me those few minutes. We're in the book of Ephesians, and it couldn't be more appropriate, uh, at least for me, uh, what we're going to read today. So if you have your scriptures, I'm only going to read these few verses from Isaiah 59 as we talk about the helmet of salvation. So hear God's word. Justice is turned back and righteousness, this is verse 14, stands far away. The truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his uprightness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing wind, which the wind of the Lord drives. And a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from their transgression, declares the Lord. This is the Word of God. You know, Dr. Frank Barker, who is one of the founders of the Presbyterian Church of America, one of our denomination back in 1973, in fact, it was at his church, uh, Briarwood Presbyterian, where we had our first uh, general assembly. Dr. Barker was just, he was a, a former Navy uh, fighter pilot, World War II, Korea. I mean, this guy was. Uh, he was the real deal. He was very passionate. He wasn't afraid of anything. He would share his faith at the drop of a hat. And Dr. Barker was famous for being in a place like this, you know, in an auditorium or something like this. Somebody would come up to him and would say, uh, you know, is, is this seat saved? 
And Dr. Parker would say, I don't know about the seat, say, I don't know about the seat, but how about you, brother? And so right away, he would just jump right into it. He had no fear. He would just share the faith. And so in evangelicalism, in our evangelical world, and in most of your experience, we talk about saved, helmet of salvation. Almost all of us, our minds run immediately to saved means I accept Jesus in my heart and therefore I avoid hell and I get heaven. So saved means I go to heaven. Yes? Isn't that most of our experience? But that is not at all how the Scripture uses the word saved. And so this morning we're going to use our regular outline. We've been using this throughout this series. What is it? What is the helmet of salvation? What is salvation? Secondly, uh, why do we need it? Why do we need salvation? You might say, well, I want to be saved so I can go to heaven. But I'm going to show you that's not how these guys are looking at it. That's not how the Old Testament prophets and writers looked at it. That's not how I think Paul looked at it primarily, although he does carry it to a certain point. So what is it? Why do we need it? And then finally, we'll look at what, you know, how did Paul look at it and try to put it in the right context? And, and I know this is going to be a blessing to you. Look at these couple verses, 16, 17. And then if you can, in your, in your printout, drop down to 61. I printed 61 because it's a continuation, Isaiah 61, verse 10. Uh, six, the first verse is, he says, His own arm brought him salvation. He put on the, the, the helmet of salvation on his head. And then down in verse 10, he says he has clothed himself with garments of salvation. So first of all, listen to this. You don't want to make too much of the metaphor of helmet of salvation. Because scripture uses different words at different times. And so don't make too much of the idea, well, it's a helmet, it protects our mind, and blah, blah, blah. I've heard all those sermons, and some of them are crazy. So that's not what he's using. He's using imagery, what? I've been telling you for weeks. He's using the imagery of a divine warrior who's entering into a battle. So what's he going to do? Put on the helmet of salvation. But in 61, just a couple chapters later, Isaiah's talking about a whole different thing. Battle's over in 61. And now, these words in 61 are on the lips of Messiah. They're on the lips of Jesus. In in Luke chapter 4, he actually reads Isaiah 61 and he says, This is me. And there you see not a battle, you see a wedding. Garments of salvation, like a bridegroom. In fact, Isaiah 61, you can read it. It says he puts on a bride, garments like a bridegroom, like, like a priest would, this regal garment, because he's going to take a bride. He's fought the battle. You with me? Fought the battle. Now the bride. Now, the, now the, the spoils of war. I've saved the princess from the tower, from the dragon, from the black knight. I've saved this beautiful wonderful, wretched, ugly, you know, we think we're great, but what he saw was not pretty. But he still came for that one. And he saves them in battle, and then he weds them. So, helmet, salvation, battle, garment, victory, wedding. What does salvation mean? Well, the word salvation is familiar to all of us. In Hebrew, it's the word yasha, or in, in verse 16, it's yasha, and in w- verse 17, it's yeshua. 
All of you know what that means. It's Jesus' name. It's Joshua's name. It's, it's not used as a primary name. It's not used as a person's name. It's used as something else in this context. But it's Yasha or Yeshua. It's salvation. In the New Testament in Greek, it's soterios. It's salvation. And salvation simply means this. Listen carefully because I hope this changes a lot of the way you look at salvation. Salvation is rescue, deliverance, and victory over calamity. Any kind of calamity. In fact, it's rarely used of salvation of a soul. It is almost always, and I looked. I have a powerful uh, computer program that I can look up words in seconds and find out all kinds of cool stuff. And I looked up every place where these words are used, and I'll tell you, it is almost never used, at least in the Old Testament, of eternal salvation. It is almost always used of temporal things like healing from cancer. You know, the Jews or, or the Hebrew people would be, you know, they were agrarian. They, they have a farm. And, and there's a, a, a bunch of locusts coming. And they would throw their arms up in the air and they would say what? Oh, Lord, save me from those locusts. Oh, Lord, save me from this drought. Oh, Lord, save me from this terrible disease. Oh, Lord, save me from my loss of a job. You can read it over and over. Let, let me give you a few examples. Exodus chapter 2. Now, the words I'm telling you, I'm going to use saved, but everywhere, everywhere, saved is Yasha or Yahshua. Exodus 2, Moses saved the seven daughters of Jethro and eventually his wife Zipporah from the flocks of the shepherds of Midian who were trying to keep them from the well. Moses saved them. And I'm giving you just a smattering here. This is not all of This is just a representative. Uh, uh, the, the Lord saved, Exodus chapter 14, the Lord saved Israel from the Egyptian army at the Red Sea. He saved them from that calamity of being trapped by the Red Sea and massacred by the Egyptian army. In Joshua chapter 10, the Gibeonites, whom the Israelites had made a treaty with, called, sent a message to Joshua and said, come save us from the Amorites. And so it says, in Joshua 10, that Joshua went and saved them from the Amorites. In Judges chapter 2, it says that the Lord raised up judges or governors to save His people from their enemies. In Psalm 44, David said this, a great warrior, this guy was a military guy from down to his bones. David said this, not by bow, nor by sword. None can save me. You have saved me. He's talking about military salvation. Salvation from enemies. Psalm 34. Listen to this. Some of you need to hear just this one scripture today. This is for some of you today. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Now he's talking about salvation from emotional and psychological calamity and distress. Some of you suffer from depression or anxiety. Some of it's clinical. Some of it's circumstantial. Some people suffer emotionally for lots of reasons. 
psychologically. And the psalmist says God saves us from those things. And finally, the last one, because we just don't have time to do them all. Your righteousness, listen to this. This will blow your mind. Your righteousness, O Lord, is like the mountains, the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. Do you ever wonder what's going to happen to your pets? Yes? They're going to be in heaven with you. He just said. They're going to get there before you probably. Man and beast you save. In other words, what he's talking about, folks, is cosmic salvation. His, his whole plan from Genesis to the end of the Bible is to take this broken and messed up world, including all the people and all the things in it, and save it. Are you with me? Save it. Rescue it. Deliver it. Redeem it. Get it out of the hands of darkness and bring it into the light. To be the great warrior king who steps into time and history and puts on the helmet of salvation and goes to war for you, for me. And when he's all done, he takes us as a bride to himself. Isaiah is talking about that kind of salvation. He's talking about social salvation. He's talking about societal justice. He's talking about judicial honorableness and honesty in our court systems. He's talking about civic righteousness. In other words, we're to follow the laws wherever you live. Whether you live in communist China or whether you live in the United States of America, you follow the laws. Until the laws run contrary, and they're starting to get a little little sketchy, yes. They're getting sketchy. Well, when they go against God's Word, then Paul, Peter said it's better, the Apostle says, better for us to obey God than man. We may have to resist. We may have to resist. But whatever the case is, God means to correct all the social, civic, political, all of those ills that are around us. He's dealing with poverty. He's dealing with ultimately, listen to this, ultimately if you take it all and you heap it all together, what he's dealing with is the wrath and judgment of God Himself. In other words, God looked down on this this world in uh, Isaiah chapter 59. He looks down on the world and the first eight verses, he He says this, Your sins have separated you from Me. I was listening You left me. I didn't leave you. And I'm looking and I'm seeing that that you have turned this world into a disaster. And it has grieved me. And I looked and I saw there was no man. Nobody could help. Nobody could solve this problem. Do you see it, folks? And then in verse 9, in around verse 9, he says, you start to see the people repenting and they're saying, yeah, you know, judgment's gone far from us. All these things have happened. Yes, they are. And then in verse 16, he says, I will, you know what? You can't do it. I will do it. My right arm will bring salvation. My hand will bring salvation. I will put on, 
I will come and rescue, which would have brought enormous peace and comfort to people who had, had, had struggled and, 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 and not, not known what to do with their lives and not been able to fix all the problems. Nobody can fix cancer, right? I've had two cancers in four years. That's scary, folks. How many more am I going to get? You know, the first one was the size of a lemon. This one is the size of an orange. My God, what fruit is next? Yeah, I don't know. They keep telling me they're the size of fruit. What's up with that? <laughs> Quit telling me that. You can't fix those. The doctors can help. They can cure. They can do. But you know, someday, we are all going to face that last gasp. Yes? That last gasp. What's on the other side of that last gasp? I want you to find salvation on the other side of that last gasp. I want you to find Yeshua. Yes, the God of salvation. The one who put on the helmet for us and came for us to rescue us from the things we could not fix. The things we could not cure. Whether it's social injustice, whether it's disease, whether it's calamity, whether it, whatever it is. Do you see the beauty of that, folks? Do you see the hope in that? Why do we need it? Look, look at what he says. Justice is turned back. We've seen what it is. What is it? Why do we need it? Justice turned back. Righteousness stands far. Truth is stumbled. You know, probably the, look at verse at, at 61. He says, the Lord saw it, displeased him. So the spirit of the Lord is upon me, the prophet says. And Jesus took these words for himself. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Poverty. Poverty is crushing our world. You know, we're very affluent. Very few of us have ever known what it is to be truly poor. Yes, we've had our bank accounts. Some of us have had our bank accounts draw low. I mean, we've had exigencies in our, you know, lives. But none of us have lived on $300 a year. That's poverty. None of us knows that. And He means to come and fix that. He also says, I'm going to cure the poverty of our souls. You know, our souls are often empty and dry. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be full all the time. And I can tell you there are days when I feel so dry, I doubt if God even exists. I know you're probably horrified to know that, but I have to tell you, I struggle with doubt like everybody else. And if you don't think I do, we need to talk. But it's in those times of doubt that I am driven, driven, to find my Savior and find His truth in my life. Yes, because He won't let me go. I would let Him go. He won't let me go. He clings to me. He draws near. When I doubt Him, He just drives in like a train. I won't let you go. Yeah, but I don't want you right now. I don't like you right now. I don't understand you right now. I don't care. And He comes closer. Don't you do that with your children? Have any of you had your children say to you, I hate you? I have. I hate you. And after I slap their face, I use, no, I'm kidding. I mean, that's the time when you draw near to your children and say, I will not let you go. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, parents know they draw in tight to their, if you're a normal parent. If you're not, you'd need to see us. I mean, it's at those times that we need our parents to come in close and say, no, I don't care what you say, I love you. 
Yes? Don't you need that? Don't you need somebody in your life that will come in and say, I will not leave you now, especially now. Not when you're doing great. Everybody can do that, folks. Everybody can love the lovely. Only God loves the unlovely. Only He loves the weak. Only He loves the desperate. Only He loves the wretched. And if you don't see yourself that way, you will never, listen, you will never find salvation. It's impossible. You have to see yourself as poor and empty and brokenhearted, He said. You've got to know there's hearts and pains and everybody. Look, just look, Presbyterians can't do this well. They can't go like this and like this because that's too much activity. <laughs> you know, we just can't. It's just, we're like very rigid. But do this. I, most Presbyterians can do this. In fact, we're very good at doing this. Peek. <laughs> go ahead. You can do it right now. Just everybody go like this. Everybody that you saw in the peripheral vision of your life around you right now is broken hearted. Do you know that? There's some hurt, some pain down deep inside that they don't know what to do with. He came to save us. Save us. So the effects, salvation is dealing with the effects and consequences of a world that is steeped in sin, injustice, unrighteousness, no truth, no uprightness, poverty, physical and spiritual, brokenhearted folks, listen, emotional and psychological, from depression, clinical or circumstantial, from all of those things, slavery, physical and spiritual, disfavor, not feeling like God really likes you or loves you, that He just holds His nose and puts up with you because you come to Christ the King. Well, they can't be all bad. I'll hold my note. They're going to a great church. They're going to the most amazing church in El Paso, maybe in the whole world. So there must be something. But, you know, they've got all this stuff. I'm going to hold my nose. I'm not too sure I like them. But I'll hold my nose. He's not doing that. He is out there gathering people and drawing them in, yes. The least, the last, the lost, the messed up, the wretched, the ugly, not the pretty, the poor, the brokenhearted. Do you see it? Those of you that have messed up lives. Church is for messed up people. If you're okay, please leave. You're going to mess up the mojo in this room. We are hurting, broken people who are filled with God. Help us with disease. And we need salvation. We need Yasha. We need Yeshua. We need someone who will come into our world and go to battle for us because we can't defeat those enemies ourselves. Why do you need it? Because of those consequences. And the ultimate consequence, folks, are people separated from God by our sins. You know, you don't hear much about sin in church today. Let me just say it three times in a row. Sin, sin, sin. That's a good dose of it for one Sunday. We are separated from God because we are rebellious people. And we've shaken our fist at God our whole lives. Say, I don't like you. I don't understand you. All true, maybe. But you know what? Only He has the power and only He has the will to save. Do you know that He's willing to save you? If you just repent and say, you know what? I've been a, I've been a bum. I've been stupid about you my whole life. I don't even know why. 
I've been that way. But right now, today, Chuck has convinced me that I need to say, hey, I repent, I'm sorry, and I want to turn to you with all my junk. Will you take me? And Jesus said, I won't turn anybody away that comes to me like that. Now, is that good news or what? You can crawl out of, you can just crawl out of the gutter with all your junk and say, Jesus, save me. And he just zooms in and he does all kinds of wild, crazy, wonderful, sometimes scary stuff. So there's a humanity out there, folks, that can't, they're incapable and unfortunately unwilling to really fix all the ills of this world. So he comes and he saves. The Lord saw it. He was displeased. uh, And so he brings salvation. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 8. Many of you are familiar with with this passage. And let me just put it in a little nutshell. The whole creation was subjected to futility. You see, sin invaded this world and corrupted paradise. Now, you may think it's a a myth, but I mean, hey, look around. The evidence is all around us that the world is a corrupt and very degraded place from what it could and should be. The creation was subjected to futility. Listen to this. But God will set them free from their bondage to corruption so that they may obtain, listen to this, the glory of the children of God. Listen, for we know... We know this. The whole creation is groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Because now what the world is waiting for is the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. In other words, it is waiting for people who have experienced salvation to step into this dark, bleak, heartless world and start saving it. Do do you see what I'm saying, folks? It's not just saving souls. It's saving everything. You see, it's not just for professional clergy like me who are, I mean, we're so holy. Sometimes it's hard for us to get around normal people. No, what I'm saying, it's for all of us. We are all agents of salvation. Yes, we want people to come to Jesus. Yes, we want them to find eternal a destiny in heaven. Yeah, right? We would want them to become Christians. But we also need to be saving the world and everything in it. Why? Because that's what God came to do. That's the, old, the whole Old Testament says that. So finally, look, quick. Got to go. How did Paul understand this? So I'm going to give you just two ways and there's more, but this is just two things you can kind of put in your put in your toolbox, be thinking about today and maybe in the days ahead. The uh, first one is, Paul understood that when he's talking about helmet of salvation, he's talking about a divine warrior. He's not thinking, I've been telling you this for weeks now, he doesn't have a Roman soldier in mind. He has God in mind. You see, that's huge, folks. Most of you have heard the other thing. You've heard all he's looking in, he's in prison, he's looking at this Roman soldier and he's getting all this imagery from the soldier. No, he's looking at his Old Testament. This was a rabbi, Rabbi Paul. He was steeped in these verses I've been giving you every week. He was reaching back and pulling all that imagery. And the imagery, folks, is not a Roman soldier, for goodness sakes. 
The imagery he's drawing up from the Old Testament is the imagery of a divine warrior, the Mashiach, who steps off the throne and says, I will go down and be born in a filthy manger with animals and all this other stuff. And a controversial birth, they're going to think I'm a bastard. I excuse the language, but that's exactly what they thought Jesus was, that he had no father, that he was illegitimate. I'm going to come down and be that man. I'm going to be that person for my people. I'm going to be excluded. They're going to say, why are you from Nazareth? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. I'm going to be not a doctor, a lawyer, a surgeon. I'm not going to be anything. I'm going to be a technon. I'm going to be a laborer. A guy that stands on the corner and waits for a pickup to come by and get him to take him to do some menial job. This gives your work, your life worth. You see, you don't have to go to your job and hate it. You can go to your job and love it. Why? Because he loved work. And redeemed it for us. Do you see it, folks? Do you see this Savior? Do you see this one coming down with an illegitimate birth, with people using language about, oh, we don't even know who his father is. We know his mother. We know his brother. We don't know his father. How horrible. Jesus took that kind of shame, that kind of guilt, that kind of ugliness. He came as a divine warrior on the cross He entered the battle. And there, folks, if you know anything about your Bible, you know that He was not, He was not saved. Do you see it now? He cried out to God, My God, My God, why have you forsaken Me? And instead of heaven opening up and glory and bells and angels, He's looked down into a gaping pit of hell. That's what he got for his prayers. This righteous man, this beautiful man, he saw the abyss, not the glories of heaven. And yet, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, even death on a cross, for you. You and I, we are the joy that was set before Him this day, this time, for you to give your life to Him and say, I will go where you send me. I'll do what you tell me. I lay the sword of my life at your feet. You command me. I'll do it. Or like Scott Saul said, fear God and you don't have to be afraid of anything. Yes? Fear Him. Reverence Him. Honor Him. Worship Him. You don't have to be afraid of anything else. He clothes me with garments, wow, of salvation. He takes me as a bride. Listen, Ephesians, folks, is all about our wretched and helpless condition. Ephesians chapter 2, we looked at it months and months ago. You were dead, it says, in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses, not sick, not wounded, dead. So it's all about that. It's about that wretched helplessness, that sinful brokenness that we cannot fix. But it's also about this. Listen, Ephesians is about this. It's about a new identity, a new humanity, a radical, radical new status. In other words, he comes into battle. He rescues this wretched sinner. Then he picks 
The wretched sinner, me, you, all of us, He picks us up out of the mire, out of the filth, and He cleans us up and He says, I love you. Why? I don't know. But He loves us and He takes us to Himself. He cleans us up. He, he clothes us with robes of righteousness and with robes of salvation. Do you see it? And He says, you're mine, like we said to this beautiful little baby this morning, you're mine. I don't know what's in store for Elliot, but I know this. God has promised He's mine. And so Dan and Danielle, it, no matter what happens to your kids in the future, if the, the last day, if, you're, if your kids are far from the Lord, God forbid, but if they are far, I've told some of you this, some of you parents, if your children are away from God, let the last gasping breath you breathe out of your mouth before you die is this. You promised. You promised. Save my baby. You get it? Now that's Christianity. Who says something like that? Nobody. Because nobody died for you like Jesus. Nobody hangs on a cross like you. No God will ever do what this Jesus did for us. Not only saves us, but gives us this new identity. But God, listen to what Paul said, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love which with He loved us even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses made us alive. By grace you have been saved. 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 Not just eternal salvation. Everything. Raised up. Seated with Him in the heavenly places. Who sits next to you in the heavenly places? Your beloved. The one who's the most special. Do you see that? You will be seated with Jesus next to Him. Why? Because He adores you. How can He possibly love me? Well, you'll be asking that question for eternity. You know, no one in this room has got a hard drive big enough to hold all of my sins. So I stand here before you and I know my sins and a thousand more as the hymn says. My God, He knows of none. Why? I'll tell you why. They went and were put on the head of my Yeshua. My salvation. My King. And my God. He took Himself and took my sins. He creates a new humanity for us. Folks, will you trust Him? Will you do it? Someday you will come to the end of your life. On the other side of that last breath, will you find salvation? Will you find Jesus? I pray you will. And I pray you'll trust Him today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot of us that are brokenhearted. We've got family that's far from You. We have problems in our lives that we don't know what to do with. Some of us are brokenhearted, Father. And, and we need You. We need You desperately to save us. Not just save us from our sins, but come into our life in such a way. I pray, Father, come into our lives in such a way so that if we fear You, reverence You, honor You, love You, that we don't have to be afraid of anything. And Billy, I, I don't know if you're going to heal me and I don't really care. I know 
that I will be healed at the resurrection. That is certain. And I know that now we must all honor You, reverence You, and worship You. And love You. And may the enemy see it. And may he put his tail between his legs and go cowering off and say, I have seen the salvation of the Lord in those people at Christ the King. I've seen it. May that enemy be destroyed by the helmet of salvation and the garments that we wear, the garments of salvation. I pray you'll do it, Father, for all of us, please, today. Fill us with the hope of our salvation. In Christ's name, amen.